0: Good morning everyone. It's good to have you all here and welcome visitors as well. We are going to, God willing, review the book of Leviticus today. This will be the last Sunday that will be in Leviticus, at least for now. Uh, So just kind of looking at Leviticus in review. And uh, I would like to start with prayer. Let's, if you would, just pray with me. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for this gathering. I want to say thank you, Lord, for calling us together, that we have the freedom to assemble freely in this place at this time to give you praise and worship in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, would you help us today to do that very thing? That our attention would be on you and that our worship would be to you. Would you free us from distraction and keep our attention fixed on you? And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would use your holy word to affect us, and to shape us, to change us where you want to change us. Make us willing and receptive, we pray, for your glory and honor, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what I'd like to do this morning is just read three verses to begin with, starting in Leviticus chapter 16, one verse near the end of chapter 16, and two verses in chapter 19. Well, actually, I'm going to read more than just one verse out of chapter 16, but... Uh, If you remember, Leviticus sort of divides into two main sections. The first section is how a holy God has made a way for his people to come into his presence and enjoy him. And that, that leads sort of climaxes at chapter 16. And in the second half of the book, how God wants his people to walk with him in holiness. So it's about a holy God. And in chapter 16, on the Day of Atonement, is the holiest of all days for God's Jewish people. <clears throat> and um, I'm just going to start reading at verse 29, and I'm going to read down 29 and 30. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you for on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you you shall be clean before the lord from all your sins so the day of atonement represented a clean slate for the people of god once a year and remember there were two sacrifices first of all first of all Aaron had to sacrifice for his own sins And so he could enter the holy place, cleansed and purified. But then he offered, there were two sacrifices on that day. The first was a goat offered for the sins of the people. And he brought the blood into the inner sanctuary. The second goat was a scapegoat where he laid his hands on the goat and confessed all the sins of Israel. And they sent the goat out into the wilderness to symbolize God removing the sins of his people away from them. So the Day of Atonement is sort of the climax of all the sacrifices that are mentioned in the first half of the book. So that God's people could have all their sins wiped clean. And then over in chapter 19. Chapter 19, these are just a couple of key verses that I believe are significant for understanding the book. I'll just read verses 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You can't study the book of Leviticus without coming away with a sense of holy. God is holy. Holy. And we'll talk more about that later, but he says, because I am holy, you shall be holy. God wants his people to be holy. And the whole second half of the book is is laws and rules that he gives so that his people would walk in holiness. And then if you just drop down a few verses in chapter 19, I wanted to read verse 17 and 18 as well. Verse 17 and 18 You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's interesting. That, that is, of course, a, that's one of the things that Jesus quotes in the New Testament when someone asks him, what's the greatest of all commandments? And he says, the first and greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. But the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He quotes there in verse 18. And the reason I mention it here is because it is so crucial Understanding that when God calls his people to live in holiness, he's calling them to live in love. You will love people best if you are living a holy life. Holiness empowers what God defines as love. So those three verses, just as we launch into this review today, and I just want to mention, maybe you this is all, you already have all this down, but I'm just going to read uh, key themes of the whole book of Leviticus. Of course, key right off the top is holiness. God is utterly holy, and the space that he, that he inhabits is therefore made holy. He requires a holy sacrifice in order to be able to approach him and enjoy his presence. And A holy sacrifice to be holy representatives of God in this world. Kingship. Kingship. You cannot read the book of Leviticus without realizing that God is a king who makes demands. He unilaterally decrees laws for his people to to obey so they can enjoy his holy presence and be his holy representatives in this world. He unapologetically makes laws for his people to follow, and there are many of them. This conveys the idea that God cannot be approached or dealt with in any old way we choose. The book of Leviticus is a very clear statement that we don't just approach God or worship him in our own way. We worship him in the way that he prescribes. He is a holy king the book of leviticus confronts the modern man or woman or boy or girl with demands demands from a holy god and this conveys his absolute sovereignty and authority over all things also the book of leviticus one of the key themes is grace This book, with all of its legal demands, is full of grace because at the very heart of it, it prescribes a way that we, as unholy people, can be accepted by a holy God. It prescribes a way wherein, through sacrifice, through holy sacrifice, God can accept us into his presence. That's good news. That's grace. I've said this before, but I'm just rereading some of my notes from earlier sermons in Leviticus, but here's an illustration. Imagine you had contracted a deadly disease that had no known cure, but you heard of a doctor who had found a cure. Now imagine you went to see that doctor and he mu- he told you you must follow his detailed health regimen in order to be healed. Would that detailed health regimen sound like a burden to you? No. If you knew for sure you could be healed. Or imagine someone revealed to you where a geocached treasure was located that was worth billions of dollars. Now just think about that. Get that picture in your mind. Now, imagine that they gave you de- detailed instructions where to find this treasure, but it happens to be in an uninhabited Arctic area where you can only access it after the spring thaw for a short time. And because of the, ro- the remote conditions, you had to follow these directions to a T or else you would die trying to get it. Now, would all of those detailed instructions feel like a burden? if it was worth billions of dollars? What's the point of these illustrations? The point is to the heart that is hungry for God, for the the heart that believes that God is indeed the greatest treasure in the universe. We just had a great time down south, by the way, with seeing seeing some of our family and friends. But we, my daughter lives in a country area in the kind of the mountainous regions of Georgia, North Georgia. And at night, you can see these beautiful stars, and we can see them here too, as long as you're not in the Walmart parking lot where you have so much light pollution. But you know what I'm saying is, my son, my my oldest grandson, my, my daughter's oldest son, comes home from first grade and he said, we asked him, what would you learn in school today? He just loves school. He goes, well, you know what I learned in school? The, we talked about the largest star that we know of. And the largest star that we know of would make our sun, the sun that our earth goes around, the size of a grain of salt. And then he gets a smile on his face. Because that is mind-blowing, isn't it? I mean, these things are mind-blowing. And yet, and yet, we are sustained. And I've said this so many times. This, this earth is just beautifully designed for life. I mean, we, we ask the question about the problem of evil, the problem of pain. But what about the problem of pleasure? What about, the, what about all the sweetness There is a lot of sweetness, and it comes from the designer, the intelligent designer, who is God, and he is so good. He is so great, and he is so glorious. He is better than a geocache treasure worth billions of dollars. The stars were his idea. Pepperoni was his idea. He just gave it to some Italian guy. I'm saying that because I want, I want us to not see God as abstract and unconnected from our life. As Pastor Kyle used to say, it was God who made the coffee bean, and he said, it is good. <laughs> God is so good. So the, for his people, for, for a person who is starting to believe that could be true, these laws, these sacrificial laws of Leviticus did not feel burdensome. They were precious because he has made a way for unholy people, unclean, ceremonially unclean people, to be able to draw near to him and enjoy his holy presence. And then... So the book of Leviticus is, is about a holy God graciously making a way for His holy people to approach Him and enjoy His holy presence and then they themselves to walk with Him in holiness. So I mentioned the, the kind of the structure 1 through 16 is holy sacrifices so that God could, God's people could approach Him and enjoy His presence. And the second part God commanded holy living so his people would walk with him in holiness. I also did not read it, but another key verse in my judgment of the whole book is found over in chapter 26, near the end, where God is giving the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. But in chapter 26, beginning at verse 9, I just want to read this little section, from 9 through 13. Leviticus 26, 9 through 13. To me, this gives me a window into the heart of God, the heart of the God of Leviticus. Starting at verse 9 of that chapter, I will turn to you, that, that is, if you will obey me, if, you'll, if you will follow my commands, I will turn to you and I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will confirm my covenant with you, You shall eat old store long kept, and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new, and I will make my dwelling among you, my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should Not be their slaves, and I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Can you see the picture into the heart of God in that little paragraph? He wants to dwell among his people and to walk with them and to be their God and to have them be his people. That is a, to me, that is a beautiful window into the heart of this law making holy king. We see that he wants sweet communion with his people and for them to enjoy him as their God. So these are just some of the major themes that I see in this book and a window into God's heart. And so what are we going to say in review of the whole book for us today? Well, I've tried to do this throughout this series, but all of the scriptures especially find their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we think of the arc of all of the Bible, we should ask this question. What would be missing in the ark of all of redemptive history if Leviticus were not there? Think about that question. <clears throat> Perhaps perhaps we'd be tempted to think that God wasn't all that concerned about holiness. Perhaps, perhaps we'd be tempted to think, you know, maybe we can figure this out, do it our, our own version of God light. Well, we found out in the book of Leviticus in chapter 10. Remember when Nadab and Abihu offered a strange fire that the Lord commanded them not? What happened? The Lord is so passionate about upholding and honoring his holiness that fire came out from his presence and killed Aaron's two oldest sons immediately, killed them on the spot. God cares very much about holiness. And so if the book of Leviticus weren't here, we might be tempted to think like that, that we could construct a kind of Christianity after our own, on our own terms. And the book of Leviticus is a clear saying no to that. He, God makes the terms of our approach to Him, our worship of Him, and our walking with Him, doesn't He? What about the ark of Scripture that all of it points to Jesus What would be missing if Leviticus were not here? Perhaps we would not understand that Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice of all time to pay for sins. But when John the Baptist said to a Jewish audience on the banks of the River Jordan, Behold, the Lamb of God, he was pointing to Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. They knew what he meant. Largely because of the book of Leviticus. Because of what is mentioned in this book about holy, spotless sacrifices that were acceptable to God and the Day of Atonement. So, how does this book of Leviticus point us toward Jesus? Well, first of all, I just mentioned it. Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. Jesus is our per- the perfect sacrifice. Sacrifice for our sins. And I'm going to... I've said this before, but so much of a, of a good understanding of how the Torah... The Torah is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. So much of understanding the Torah and how it relates to Christianity today can be helped... Can be understood through the book of Hebrews. But if you go over to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament... <coughs> Hebrews chapter 10 if you're using these pew bibles this is this you'll find this on page 1194 Hebrews chapter 10 Jesus is our perfect sacrifice i believe Leviticus Jesus fulfills Leviticus in that way, that he is our perfect sacrifice. And I think Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14 help illustrate that. Hebrews 10, starting at verse 11, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. He was talking about the Old Testament. that is a powerful verse. I, I would encourage you. I know we're meditating uh, on on uh, the second Peter verse this week, or the verse of the week. But I would encourage you sometime to highlight Hebrews ten fourteen and meditate on it. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. No, it's a it's a past completed action for a group of people who are presently being made holy. But he that I believe that shows that Jesus is our perfect sacrifice that Leviticus was pointing to and he fulfills therefore all those sacrifices. Secondly, in the book of Leviticus, there's a lot about priests and high and the high priest and I would say, secondly, Jesus fulfills Leviticus because he is the perfect high priest for us. He is the perfect high priest for us. Again, if you're in the book of Hebrews, stay right there and turn back to chapter 4. Chapter 4, Hebrews 4, starting at verse 14. This is page 1189 in the Black Pew Bibles. Hebrews 4:14 4, through16. "Since then we have a great High priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that a precious paragraph? We have a high priest who knows how we're tempted. He knows our weaknesses. He was tempted exactly like we were, and yet he stayed faithful to the Lord all the way to the end. He doesn't have to offer sacrifices for his own sins like Aaron had to before he offered sacrifices for the people's sins because he was without sin. But he knows how we feel. He knows what you're going through. So then, since we have such a great high priest, let's draw near with confidence to his throne of grace. Notice it doesn't say a throne of shame or a a throne of something else, but it's a throne of grace. He's ruling grace. And he loves to give grace to the humble. And he will. He's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So let's humbly draw near to him so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Another little paragraph on Jesus as our perfect high priest is in Hebrews chapter 7. If you just turn over there a couple pages, Hebrews 7 Verse twenty-three. I'll just read a couple of verses here. This uh, Hebrews chapter seven, verse starting at verse twenty-three. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he. that is, Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you see how Jesus is is the perfect high priest? Because he doesn't die. And therefore, consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost. That's what I need. I need a Savior who can save to the uttermost. You know why? Because He always lives. He's never going to die. He always lives to do what? To make intercession. That means to pray for me and to pray for you. Jesus is praying for you. I'll just read that again. Verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Is that you today? Are you a person who wants to draw near to this holy God through Jesus Christ? Listen, if that's you, listen to the rest of the verse. Since he always lives to make intercession for them, that means he's praying to God his father for every person who tries to draw near to God through Jesus and do you remember what he said to peter this is, i always think of peter when i read this verse he said to peter peter the devil has asked permission to sift you like wheat but i have prayed for you so that your faith will not fail now pause just take a commercial break for a second Hey, Peter's faith certainly faltered, didn't it? He denied Jesus three times, even swore to a little slave girl because he, he was fearful. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you so that your faith will not fail. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. <laughs> Man, can you imagine Peter? I know Peter was devastated when he denied Jesus and he looked and saw Jesus looking at him. But can you imagine the comfort that came to Peter when he was sorrowful over his sins and he turned again? Jesus prayed for me so that my faith did not utterly fail. Brothers and sisters, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, if you are a person who wants God and you're coming to him through the sacrifice of his son Jesus, Jesus is praying for you and he will never stop. (laughs) Come on, that is like good news. That is good news. We have so much bad news in our world. Keep reading your Bible thoughtfully and prayerfully. It is full of good news. Jesus Christ is our perfect high priest. He's our perfect sacrifice, but he's also our perfect high priest. He knows what we're feeling. He knows what we're tempted with. But he's praying for us, and we're going to make it. Hallelujah. Jesus, I've already mentioned this, but Jesus fulfills the Day of Atonement as the perfect atonement for our sins. And He removes our sins from us, just like Psalm 103 says, as far as the East is from the West, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Jesus is our perfect atonement. So, number one, Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. Number two, Jesus is our perfect high priest. Number three, Jesus is our perfect atonement. Now, I will, number four. And, and, and number four, Jesus lived in holiness for us. And he leads us in the path of holiness. Jesus lived in holiness for us. He fulfilled all those ritual laws, all those ceremonial laws, all the Torah he fulfilled perfectly. And he leads us in a path of holiness. <clears throat> I just want to say you can see this in the book of Leviticus. God made a way for his people to draw near to him through a holy sacrifice. But drawing near to him included included walking with him in holiness. As I read in chapter 19, you shall be holy for I am holy. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself, verse 18. To live in holiness, in obedience to God, makes you, suits you to be a person who can love people, really. Jesus lived in holiness for us because none of us do that perfectly, but he did. So not only was he the sacrifice to be the payment for our sins... He had the perfect track record of obedience to give to us so that we could stand in righteousness before a holy God. And he leads us in holiness. He leads us in holiness. Jesus said, come and follow me. He doesn't just say, hey, I'll be your fire insurance out of hell and you can live any way you want to. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. The gospel is not... Jesus was holy, so I don't have to be. That's not the gospel. Here's the gospel. Jesus is holy. He died in my place to make me holy. Because, you know, it's only when our hearts are changed by the power of His Holy Spirit that we desire to please Him, that we become happy people. Don't don't believe that all the vacations... And all the nice cars and all the boats on the lake is what is where happiness is. Happiness is an—I mean, I'm talking about real happiness or what some people call joy. Some people differentiate between those two, but happiness of the soul is what Jesus wants. He said, "I, "I said these things to you so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full." He wants our joy to be full. But it comes as we follow Him, and He leads us in paths of holiness. So don't think that the book of Leviticus is all about Jesus just being a perfect sacrifice so that we can be accepted before God and just live unholy lives. That's not what the Bible is teaching. The Bible is teaching God provided holiness through the sacrifice for us so that we could enjoy Him and walk with Him in holiness. So I think the two parts of the book of Leviticus accurately represent the two aspects of Jesus. He he lived in holiness for us and he leads us in holiness. And finally, fifthly, Jesus will return someday soon. Jesus will return in glory for his own And I think all the feast days are pointing to this. I think especially the feast of trumpets that we talked about in the latter chapters of Leviticus. All of this is pointing to the day. He is the first fruits from those who rose from the dead. And he is going to come with the trumpet sound of God one day soon. And welcome those who bank their hopes in him. He's going to welcome them home. And we're going to sit down. This is what the Bible says. We're going to sit down and eat with him. And wonder of wonders, he's going to serve us. He's going to be like the waiter. I, know how, I, remember, I remember how Peter was with that when Jesus was washing his feet. Hey, you ain't washing my feet. I should be washing yours. And Jesus said, if I, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. So Jesus, the the King of Kings, became our servant. And even upon his return, he's going to serve us in a wedding feast when he is reunited with his people. And all the feast days of the latter part of Leviticus uh, and the year of jubilee are are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I have a whole list of other things that I could say, but I'm not going to. Just want to close with these thoughts. God is holy, and he demands holiness from his people. Leviticus provided a way for God's ancient people to draw near and enjoy communion with him through a holy sacrifice. He also gave rules for holy living so God's people would understand what pleased him. The book of Leviticus points beyond itself to Jesus, the Messiah, who would come and fulfill all of it, who would fulfill all of God's requirements perfectly. Jesus did not fulfill the holy demands of God so that we could be unholy. No, he did it to make us holy so we could enjoy God and walk with God. The reality is that we, unholy people, have, are broken and rebellious in our fallen nature, and we cannot keep God's holy law. Jesus came and kept it for us as our representative so we would become a whole new kind of person people whose hearts have been radically changed and now who want to walk in holy obedience to our Lord who bought us. <clears throat> I don't know where you are, but if you want this great God, if you want Him as your treasure, and you want Him, as He says in the book of Deuteronomy, if you want Him to call you His own treasured possession, then come to Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus Christ. Just say, Lord, forgive me for all of my sins. Take me as I am and make me holy and let me walk with you. Be my God and let me be your people. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this time that we have spent the last eight and a half months in the book of Leviticus. I pray, Lord, that you would use it to add a weightiness to what we think of when we think of the cross of Calvary and that we would sense the weightiness of the blood of Christ and what a thing it is that it doesn't just pardon our iniquities, but calls us to a whole new way of living. Oh, Lord, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you that you always live to pray for us. Pray for us even now, Lord. Help us to believe you and to obey you.